Amen. You may be seated. The scripture this morning will be read in pieces throughout the sermon instead of all at the beginning. Uh, But let's get this out of the way at the very beginning. Habakkuk. You're going to say it with me on three, okay? Habakkuk. One, two, three. Habakkuk. All right, that might be the first time many of you have said that word out loud before. It is a book of the Bible. Um, There's only three chapters to this little prophetic book that's nestled uh, towards the end of the Old Testament. Um, So we'll be kind of going through the first chapter, first two chapters, first chapter and a verse um, throughout the sermon, so I encourage you to use your table of contents uh, and find that and follow along as we uh, go through that first chapter. Before we begin, let's have a word of prayer together. God, we pray that you will speak through this prophet to us this morning. God, may these ancient words be brought forward into the present And carry your truth with it for us. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. There are somewhere in the ballpark of 40 million people living in modern slavery. This is the world in which we live. Mike and Sherry Morrissey are missionaries in Thailand, and they spoke with us uh, just a few months ago about their experiences in Thailand, their mission in Thailand, and their efforts to stop the sex trade that's happening all around them. This is the world in which we live. This week, five million children in New Delhi were given face masks to protect them from extreme levels of pollution in India's capital. We live in a world in which many of our electronic devices contain what is known as conflict minerals. These are precious minerals mined in countries like the Congo, where people, many of them children, are enslaved to go down into these mines to get these rare minerals. And we live in a world in which a United Methodist pastor in Honduras sold his house to pay a ransom to kidnappers who took his child. The child was returned, but reported witnessing the murders of other children whose parents could not or would not pay the ransom. This is the world in which we live. We live in a country in which there are an estimated 403,000 people living in modern slavery. We live in a country in which three individuals have more combined wealth than the bottom 50% combined. We live in a country in which people seeking asylum from horrific conditions are met at our borders with families being ripped apart and being detained in conditions that most of us would not allow our pets to live in. That's the country in which we live. We live in a state in which Martin County has had toxic water since the year 2000. Coal miners had to camp out on train tracks to block a train from moving the coal they mined just so they could get wages for their work. This is the state in which we live. 
We live in a time when everything I just said, even though it was merely stating the state of our world, could be taken as a political agenda. But no matter what you view as the solution to some of those issues I just mentioned, people on all sides of the political aisle can agree that social injustices continue to exist in modern society. And the question I want us to consider this morning is what is the proper response of a Christian? What is our response to injustices that we see and acknowledge around us? We're going to take a look at this tiny little book in the Bible that's named after this prophet who is having a dialogue with God named Habakkuk. He looks around and is distressed about the current state of his people, the southern kingdom of Judah. It's written sometime before the exile. Scholars don't know exactly when this prophet existed. Perhaps a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah or just before that. But it's a time when God's people are allowing and participating in these injustices. And the prophet looks around and is confused as to why God continues to allow it to happen. And so join me in taking a look at Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to go through this chapter and one verse in chapter 2 in three chunks. We'll move through them fairly quickly. But the first chunk is Habakkuk's initial prayer to God. And then we'll see God's response. This is verses 1 through 4 of Habakkuk. The oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore judgment comes forth perverted. Habakkuk looks around and sees injustice everywhere. And so he laments to God. This, this first prayer from Habakkuk mirrors other prayers in the Bible, many in the Psalms, that are laments. A crying out to God that's very emotional, filled with sadness, and sometimes anger. This, this little poetic prayer has two mirrored sections of threes. First, there's three questions, and then there's three statements. The three questions each carry with them an accusation towards God, which seems like a dangerous thing to do, right? But Habakkuk seems to be accusing God of something here. Listen to these questions and how accusatory they are. O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence and you will not save. 
Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? These are the three questions. And they're each accusing God. And then the second group of three is a series of three statements that are a progression of injustice with a conclusion at the end. Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. It's just a statement about the current state of things. But because of that, verse 4, so the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. And then the last statement, the wicked surround the righteous. With the conclusion that therefore, remember I say this often when I preach, we have a word therefore, we have to ask what is it therefore? Everything he said so far is leading up to this. Because of all of that, therefore, judgment comes forth perverted. The judgment that is being executed within this nation is not right. And Habakkuk sees all of this and doesn't merely just say, oh well, or there's nothing I can do. He goes to his God and he cries out. And then we get a response from God. In verses 5 through 11, God responds, and I'm sure Habakkuk is glad to hear a response from God, but he's pretty taken back by what he hears. Listen to these words from God responding to Habakkuk's cry of lament. Look at the nations and see. Be astonished, be astounded. For a work is being done in your days that you would not believe if you were told. For I am rousing the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Dread and fearsome are they. Their justice and dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more menacing than wolves at dusk. Their horses charge. Their horsemen come from far away. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence with faces pressing forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and of rulers they make sport. They laugh at every fortress and heap up earth to take it. Then they sweep by like the wind. They transgress and become guilty. Their own might is their God. This is not a very encouraging response to Habakkuk, who is crying out and saying, God, here in Judah, there's a lot of injustice taking place. Aren't you going to do anything about it? And God's response is, oh, I have already begun doing something about it. These Chaldeans over here, which, by the way, is synonymous with Babylonians, <laughs> this other nation over here with this mighty army, they're going to come and destroy everything. And the description of this nation is terrifying. Dread and fearsome are they. The horses are described as swifter than leopards, more menacing than wolves at dusk. 
and those horses, they're going to charge. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. God paints a picture of this mighty army that's going to come forth, and God is actually saying that they are going to execute His judgment on His people. This is not an encouraging response from God. But there, is a few, there are three things about it that are encouraging still. First, God hears Habakkuk's prayer, right? It's not as if he doesn't hear him at all, he doesn't ignore him. God hears and responds. Maybe we should be praying expecting the same thing, that God not only hears us, but desires to respond to us. It's also encouraging that God isn't unaware of the injustices that Habakkuk is speaking of. Habakkuk cries out to God, and God's like, oh, I know what's happening. I know what's going on. God sees the injustice in Habakkuk's world, and he sees the injustice in our world. And then the third encouraging thing about God's response is that Sin and injustice, injustice will ultimately be punished. Sin and injustice will ultimately be punished. Not in the way that Habakkuk wanted it to be. And so then after God responds like this, Habakkuk is a little taken aback. He's shocked at God's response. And we get Habakkuk's then response back to God in this dialogue in verses 12 through the end of the chapter. Habakkuk says, Are you not from of old, O Lord my, holy, o Lord my God, my Holy One? You shall not die. O Lord, you have marked them for judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for punishment. Your eyes are too pure to behold evil. And you cannot look on wrongdoing. Why do you look on the treacherous and are silent when the wicked swallow those more righteous than they? You have made people like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. The enemy brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his seine. So he rejoices and exults. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offering to his sane. For by them, his portion is lavish and his food is rich. Is he then going to empty his net and, de and destroy nations without mercy? And so Habakkuk responds, and the beginning of his response is one of praising God. He responds to God beginning by saying, by calling God my Holy One. And referring to him as O Rock, he talks about God's eternal nature, saying, You will never die. He talks about his purity of vision, saying, Your eyes are too pure to behold evil. So he begins by praising God, just as we began early by declaring that God is a God of grace and glory and singing, He is worthy. But then Habakkuk is again bold enough to ask God for more understanding. He comes to God saying, 
I know you're good, but when I look around, I see evil everywhere. How can this be? Have you ever wanted to ask that question? God, you are good. We know you are good. We've experienced your goodness, but we look around and we see injustice in this world. Have you ever wanted to ask, how can this be? How can we reconcile your goodness with the evil that we see all around us? He comes to God, not questioning God's goodness, but seeking understanding for what's going on around him. I want to suggest that as Christians, we are called to be in this kind of a dialogue with God. Some of the typical responses of Christians in our day, either to turn a blind eye to injustices in the world and pretend like they don't exist if they don't affect us personally, or to go all in on trying to change what we see happening. I want to be clear, I'm not saying we're not called to get involved. I do believe that Christians are called to go out and be involved in seeking justice for the world. But oftentimes we forget this part of what Habakkuk is doing here. That God can handle our complaints. He can handle us coming to him and crying out. It's, it's not a, a pleasant, like, kneeled, silent prayer that Habakkuk is giving to God here. He's crying out to God, and I imagine him screaming these words. He says, how long, O Lord? How long am I going to cry to you? We can come to God like that. God can handle our complaints. As a side note, it perhaps was not the greatest Sunday to pick a sermon title, Bring Your Complaints, on a Sunday when you come in and the sanctuary is half-finished being painted. This is, this is not an invitation to call the church office with all your complaints. Those, those uh, calls would be forwarded to me, I'm, I'm sure. What I am suggesting is that God can handle our complaints. God can handle it when we see evil in this world and we cry out to him. But we're going to also take a look at one verse from chapter 2. Next week's uh, focus will be on bringing your faith. Because the message from Habakkuk, part one, is Habakkuk crying out, complaining, and part two shows his faith. But we're going to end part one by looking at chapter two, verse one, which simply says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. See, Habakkuk doesn't just complain, and when he got the response he wasn't looking for, abandon his cause altogether. No, he vows to not abandon the people and his causes for justice. He says, I will stand at my watch post. I will continue to listen for the word from God for his people. I will continue to pursue justice where I see injustice. 
There's a lot about Habakkuk's world that is the same as ours. I just went through a list of injustices at the beginning of this sermon, some of which may be similar to what he was experiencing. But there is something very different about our world and Habakkuk's. We have a different perspective on the justice of God because of our perspective. Listen to these words from Paul in chapter 17 of the book of Acts. Paul is in Athens and he is seeing idol worship going on all around him. And this is one of the things that Paul has to say to these people about injustice going on in his time. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You see, this morning as we come here and as we gather around the Lord's table to partake of Holy Communion, in a way we are like Habakkuk saying, I will stand at my watch post. I will not give up the cause for injustice. But we're acknowledging that we know the one who is the judge, the living Christ who is raised from the dead. In this we have assurance. Earlier in the service, we said part of our communion liturgy, which is a, re- a prayer of repentance. And we say we have not loved our neighbors, we've not heard the cry of the needy. We say this every month. We say, Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Paul says that he commands all people everywhere to repent. And that's what we've done. In a moment as we come to the altar, come knowing it's okay to cry out to God about injustices in your life and injustices that you see going on around the world. God can handle our complaints if we bring them to Him. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for the the prophet Habakkuk and his, his relationship with You that was strong enough to handle his cries of lament. Give us the courage to approach You in this bold way, God. God, we pray for the injustices we see around the world. May we be a part of the coming of your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. May you bring peace where there is war. God, move in our hearts. Help us to love our neighbors. We're crying out to you, God. Move in power in our day as we stand at our watch post and wait on your word. In Christ's name, amen.